0: Hey guys, Brian Jodis here with another great offer from our friends at it Check out New Mood. Everything that goes up must come down, ourselves included. During the day, we amp up with coffee, nootropics, pre-workout, and more, all in the name of meeting the challenges in front of us. New Mood is the amp antidote, helping you relax and focus on yourself by turning down the noise of the chaos. Designed to give you calm, the carefully sourced ingredients, support your body's natural serotonin production to help erase daily stress let's bring it down at the end of the day here guys go to their website on it o-n-n-i-t dot find that new mood use the code pick six p-i-c-k-s-i-x and save 10% today shoot man use that code you're gonna save 10% on everything at on it go check it out we love those guys we're so grateful for their support go to on o-n-n-i-t and use that promo code pick six p-i-c-k-s-i-x and save 10% today Tammy Barlett knows about courage. It takes courage to step into a fighter pilot squadron. Now imagine doing that as a female in a male-dominated line of work. We're talking about flying and fighting, battles on the outside and the inside. This is Pick Up The Six Podcast. Tammy Barlett, welcome to Pick Up The Six Podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, I'm honored to have you. Uh, thrilled to uh, to sit in this seat today and and have this conversation. Talk about your career uh, in the Air Force, flying the A ten. Uh, I know our listeners will be excited to hear more about that because Casey Campbell had them on the edge of their seat talking about some some wild times that she had in the Warthog. Uh, but also just excited to get to know you a little bit. So thanks for setting some time aside and doing this.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome.
0: A love and a passion for trying to get into an aircraft. So how does Tammy Barlett end up in the United States Air Force?
1: <laughs> yes, interesting story. I, I actually have no history of anyone in my family being in the military pretty length of time. There was a few uncles that spent a couple of years in the Navy, but I think really what happened is I I was really interested in serving my country. It just was very intriguing to me and I thought I wanna wanted, I wanted do that, but I didn't know anything about it and i was taking some college classes in high school and there was a navy guy in one of the classes and i reached out to him and i said hey i was thinking about the military and i was thinking navy and he said uh yeah he's like i think that's awesome but i think you should think about the air force okay <laughs> and he explained his reasonings this is probably 1994 he just said things like you know they're the cleanest they treat their people the best they seem the most advanced when it comes with respecting women at this point in time and made, made some points. And so I thought, OK, so I looked into the Air Force ROTC program at the University of Minnesota and learned that I could join this program. And if I didn't like it, that I could leave. And I felt like that was probably the first time in my life that I had an opportunity to be really in control. And I joined the program, didn't have a second thought about it. I finally felt like I was surrounded by people Mm. who cared about what they were doing, cared about other people, wanted to be good leaders, wanted to be good people, wanted to work hard, just all those things. They were really driven. And I didn't even think about it again. And I was just going to be, you know, do my four years as a minimum and go from there. I wasn't even thinking pilot. I didn't know any pilots. I, I didn't really see women as pilots not that i didn't believe they could because i was really truly raised to believe i could be whatever i wanted to be mm-hmm. but i hadn't seen any women flying and so i didn't consider it but then i went to field training which is like you know the four week officer version of boot camp if you will at lackland living in the bays and we had this career day and there was one pilot there with 200 cadets and he looked at me out of the whole crowd so really kind of a fate thing and said are you going to be a pilot And I said, well, I can't actually, they said I can't because I had knee surgery. And he said, oh, there's a waiver for pretty much everything. And I wish I'd learned that lesson then. Mm -hmm. You know, I I needed to learn it a couple of times later, too. But the bottom line is I went back to the detachment. I said, I want to look into getting this waiver and come to find out I didn't even need a waiver. And I was so excited because that opened up the aperture of, of pilot. I'd always been, I was a gymnast. I climbed trees. I loved roller coasters. Flying seemed really cool, but I hadn't Mm -hmm. thought about it. Mm -hmm. And so that just opened the world up to me and that's when it all happened. And I just took the path from there and never looked back.
0: That's incredible. Uh, As you start going down that journey, right. Mm -hmm. And, And you're right. I mean, you think about fighter pilots, a male dominated, right. Macho kind of thing. I mean, you know, I've known one my whole life <laughs> right? and <laughs> my, my dad uh, and spent a lot of time uh, as a kid. I mean, some of my fondest memories as a kid are hanging out in squadron bars and playing foosball and eating popcorn and, you know, just having a having a time with those guys. And it was a lot of guys. Uh, do you start to study the history of, of female fighter pilots or are there some that kind of paved the way that you look to or are you just like, this is my journey. I'm going to do my thing. You know, I'm just trying to make it and and do the best I can at this.
1: You know, I would say it's more of the second option you painted or the picture you painted. And it's simply because I I mean, you talk about squadron bars and I didn't know any of that until I actually became a pilot. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a picture of it. I didn't even know that women couldn't fly fighters because at this point it's 1995 when I started college, I graduated in 98 Women were already allowed. There were no limitations that I even knew about because mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know that much about the military until I actually started getting into it. And so I was just really in survival mode, just trying to learn everything I could about yeah. whatever I could in the military as far as what applied to being successful in the moment. So I was a little bit, you know, like focused forward at, in the moment. I didn't look back too much. Now I know there was there were several women who paved the way. Sharon Betty Presler, Jeannie Levitt, Martha McSally, who was later my squadron commander. But I didn't know anything about them. And I didn't even realize when I went to pilot training that I would end up being one of the earlier women to fly fighters. I I was totally, honestly, clueless about that. I wasn't looking at numbers. I just thought this is something that I'm allowed to do and I'm, I'm going to go do it. And there's not many of us, but that doesn't matter. I, no. I am eligible. And that's just how I saw it. I didn't see myself as super different. I mean, there are moments yeah. I felt super different, but I didn't see it like I need to prove something. It was just a job that I wanted to do and thought I I could go try it like everybody else.
0: When did you get assigned the A-10 and what was that experience like? And, and would you mind, Kay, Casey did it before, but every chance we get to hear some describe that airplane and talk about what it is and <laughs> just tell us about that, <laughs> that Gatling gun. I mean, it's just, it's kind of fun to hear about it. So can you do that too?
1: Yeah, I can do that. I actually, when I graduated pilot training, I was assigned a FAPE, a first assignment instructor pilot, which at the time I was disappointed about because all my classmates, not all of them, but m- many of them who were at least in the T-38 training pro- mm-hmm. track with me, which is the fighter track, they were going off to fly their fighters and our egos take a hit on that, right? They're getting the
0: aircraft, street, right? It's a, it's a night where they announce it, right? And they're getting aircraft yeah. and everybody's jazzed Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I got the T37, which is the basic trainer. But it's it's an honor because they're saying, hey, we want you to teach the newest mm-hmm. generation of pilots right away. Yeah. Um looking back, I it was perfect for me. I I love teaching, and that's one of the biggest things I miss about being an instructor pilot, is I, I'm not teaching right now, not in that way. Um, and I loved seeing the changes. So I was I was a T37 fape for three and a half years. And then I got a new assignment drop, which is where I got the A-10. So the A-10, it's a single seat attack aircraft and its primary role is to provide lethal support to our troops on the ground. So if they need help, oftentimes who do they call in? It's the A-10. You know, it carries bombs, missiles, rockets. And I know I know, Casey said it, but a 20 foot Gatlin gun that holds 1150, 30 millimeter rounds. And the pilot sits in a titanium tub. It's literally meant to be a flying tank.
0: Mm hmm. So got, it was pretty that, exciting. Yeah.
1: And, it, you know, what's interesting about it is I had some trouble at this point in my career. I was I was thinking about going to fighters and I thought, you know what? I don't know. I haven't really thought about this. This is a, a very aggressive. Um, it's a weapon. I mean, it's meant to kill people and kill tanks and take lives. And um, I had to go through the thought process of really um, digging that out because. I think that that's appropriate. If you're going to if you're going to do a job like that, you need to process the fact, can I handle this? this is this something I can live with? Yeah. And what's interesting was that one of the things I struggled with at first is I said, well, flying the E10 you're really low. You you might actually see the people that you're taking out and you know, I'm I know they're the enemy, but I'm also human. I think that's a good balance. I think all our warfighters need to have it. We don't all talk about it because we got yeah. think we think we got to be tough and and, you know, have our fangs out all the time is one of the terms you'll hear. But I think we all deal with it. But then someone said to me, you know, that's true, but you're also going to be close enough to see who you're defending. And that's all I needed. That's all I needed. I love the role of the defensive role. I mean, even in, in soccer, I played for 10 years and I loved being a defender yeah. and it just carried, it's carried out my whole life. I'll, I'll defend someone to the very end. You know, that's, that's more my role. The offensive role is not so much my cup of tea and that's okay. Everybody's built differently.
0: So you go through that, you know, sort of that mental um, process, right. Of, yeah. of putting the perspective around that. Right. And you're right. I mean, when, when, when trouble hits, you're going in, you're going, you're going low, right? You're the closest in an airplane you can get to engaging the enemy like that. But then you're right. It's, it's an amazing perspective about, but you're also the closest to go save your guys to go say, right. To be the one that gets called in and does that. Um, and I wonder too, in knowing your journey through this, right. And your eventual exit from the A-10 into flying predators and unmanned aircraft having having gone through that, right? Having having made that peace with your duty to be able to do that to then carry the weight of flying an unmanned aircraft. So first of all, before we talk about that, talk to me about that adversity though, in being in the A-10, being in the aircraft and being removed from it because of an injury and, and something you've got to deal with physically.
1: Right, so I had cervical spine reconstruction in 2006. And I could have gotten back in the plane, but I would have had to gone back through full training. And I was about to get married. There was just a lot of life decisions at that point in time. And they that that was difficult. I remember walking away from the plane because I did a landing currency update the day before my surgery. Just like I literally took off and landed to get my landing currency Mm -hmm. updated. And the IP that was chasing me took off and did his own thing. And I, I remember at Davis month and just walking away from the jet thinking. That is probably it, and it was, but I had a really great Finney flight in Korea that was amazing. So I transitioned to flying unmanned planes because they just happened to be standing up a brand new squadron at Davis-Monthan for the Arizona Air National Guard, flying the Predator. And they desperately wanted my cast background because they had thrown weapons on these ISR platforms now, and that completely changed it's inter- interaction with all the other platforms and they really needed people that understood how to fight the fight with weapons and, and that kind of interface and how to understand nine lines and working in a rods and with other planes and JTAC. So that w- that's really kind of pulled me over there. And I do think that my thought process through taking someone's life and could I do that was valuable because... No kidding, I did more damage, if you will, in the Predator than I personally ever did in the A-10. And there's a lot of people who don't address the issues that come with that. I mean, I was literally seven months pregnant, flying a Predator that was in Afghanistan and defending essentially the troops on the ground that were gonna be driving convoys down the road because we found some IED emplacers. And then that night I went home and you know slept next to my husband with my kids. And then the next well, I had one child at the time and I had the yeah. other one in my belly. <laughs> yeah. How strange is that? But because I had thought through it, I feel like I didn't have the trouble that some people do have with seeing that because you see it and you see what happens. And then you have to you have to deal with it. It's real, you know, it's not a video, it is not a video game.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: it's actual yeah. human lives that we're dealing with and protecting and Yeah.
0: Well, I'm so grateful, Tammy, that you have the voice to talk about that, because it it might be for some of our listeners. Right. You don't maybe you don't think about the physical distance in which you are away from the battlefield in that in that scenario. Right. You're talking about unmanned planes over a combat zone in Afghanistan with someone flying the remote controls from Arizona and having to not only bear the weight of that incredible um, responsibility on behalf of our nation—one that you volunteered to do. Right, so I will will rightfully do that on behalf of my nation. But then to, in a moment, to kind of check out of that, and then to go live life—you know—you're not downrange. You're not hanging at the fob. You don't even have that time to kind of decompress. It's incredible. Yes,
1: it's interesting. And I, I, I left that community. Flying that community in 2011, so I'm I'm certain I'm I'm certain that they have developed something in the meantime. But while I was there, Mm -hmm. there really wasn't anyone addressing that, and there there was a little bit of I would say kind of making fun of people who struggle to you know. But the truth is, it's real. It is Mm, real, and I I think that's that's sad because it's true. When you're deployed, you're with a bunch of people who are handling the same thing mentally that you are, but yet. You know, we're sitting here at home and and I might go fly a plane in Iraq for a couple hours, come out, go to the BX, get a coffee or out the base, come back, fly a plane in Afghanistan, you know, a couple hours yeah. later. It's just strange. And you have but you have to mentally be in the moment and in the combat zone and understand that, you know, there's guys out there and gals out there. Mm -hmm. who are defending us and they need our help, whether even if it's just eyes over them and overwatch. I was grateful to do that. Even if I didn't know how I was helping them, I knew it was valuable and important.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Anil D'Souza was on the show with me uh, about a week ago, and we were talking a lot about the current Afghan evac situation. And one of the takeaways was not even anything specific to what's going on over there is you don't know what somebody else is going through. Meaning we've got Afghan refugees who are now escaping to America who might show up at your local gas station or Costco or whatever, who might be having a rough day, who might have, be, have been having a really rough few months. Uh, and maybe they drop something or get in front of you in line or like, extend a little bit of grace. It's one of the themes I've been coming back to the last few weeks. And, and honestly, it's easier probably to hit on it when you feel like we're kind of getting just pulled in different directions all the time. And so maybe part of it is just. You don't know what somebody's got going on in any instance. Th- throughout the course of this, and, and I've heard you speak a few times and, and and I and I've heard you talk about social courage. And I know it's something that has really kind of lit a fire in you and given you real purpose. And part of that now is through Athena's voice and and the work you're doing there. But but let's talk social courage and what you mean by that and how you've seen that empower you and how you're trying to kind of keep driving that.
1: Well, you know, they say that a lot of people when they end up speaking, they speak on things or write on things that they've struggled with. And I truly feel like I've struggled with what I call social courage, meaning, you know, getting in the A-10 and flying that plane and doing that job and being willing to do that job alone takes courage. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. even flying the t a you could you're putting your life on the line every day. It's it's true. And so it takes courage. Being courageous to do that. But I think that a lot of things that it held me back was the social courage, meaning I would show up in the squadron bar and I just felt like, oh, I don't know what everybody else knows. I want to speak up and ask a question, but I've seen how they treat people you know when I, when i'm just observing from the outside meaning i'd walk into the squadron bar and i'd hear somebody say oh can you believe what so and so did he you know did, did, did. and i'm like oh that could have been me and you know they say you can ask any question it's not dumb but truly there you know they're, you get treated there's dumb questions and what i witnessed and it wasn't just me as a woman what i noticed was that as a collective group there was there was a lot of like we know it all you know and but individually no one was like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when you got one-on-one with people and i'd share my mistakes i'd be like oh i i can't believe i did this today they'd look at me and they'd usually say that's nothing you should do this <laughs> and then they would dump what they did and i thought oh i haven't done that individually they would share these things that they'd done but as a group no one seems willing to get up and say here's my mistake mm. um and That's just my experience. There's been some really good experiences I've had, but that's where I felt like it held me back the most. So that's why that's the loudest, even though, again, that's not my experience all the time. I feel like that stopped me from speaking up, asking questions, volunteering. And once I kind of got into an environment where I felt like I could ask these questions, I, I grew because I've always been one of those people that doesn't necessarily get things right away. It just takes me a while. And then when I get it, I really get it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of kick it in later. And it's always been like that. So I just, I just feel like there's, there's something we can do individually, you know, the step out of your comfort zone. I get all that, but just like people are so in, we're all individuals. We're all individuals when it comes to that too. And you can't just go from zero to a hundred. I can't, you know, some people just, that's their limit. And, and how about we meet them? How about we help them and meet them in the middle and then stretch their comfort zone as we do that, meaning making our environments a little bit more friendly and actually making it okay for brainstorming and silly ideas because you can't get to the great ideas until you get through the silly ones, right?
0: One of the things I've been kind of challenging on recently is, and I I totally agree with, you got to do things to make yourself uncomfortable, to push yourself, to continue to accelerate. I also think too that... There is some, there's some goodness in part of your comfort zone, meaning be aware of of what you're, when you're grooving, when you're doing things at your best, where well, you don't even really have to think much, right? When you're doing what you were born to do for those who you were born to serve. Well, I think that's part of your comfort zone too, right? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's something yeah. to leaning into that, but then also being like, but you've got to, but you can't be complacent, I guess, in it. And I think that's where maybe we get in trouble is complacency and yeah. comfort.
1: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I absolutely think people need to step out of their comfort zone and I've done it all the time. Yeah. Um, but how far, you know, like expect to ask someone to step one step out before you ask them to step three mm, is yep. all I'm saying,
0: Yeah. you know, totally. Um, I totally, I totally agree. Hey, that environment, right. Where you got into the right environment that helped do that. If you don't want to tell me specifically where it was for any reason, totally cool. But what, what was that? What made that the case was, was it leadership was it were, were it people was it people what was that environment that you started to be able to kind of push that a little bit
1: you know i really think that i was put in a position where like there was someone who believed in me because mm-hmm. I, I know that we preach all the time raise your hand volunteer this and that i i get it but there are still some great people out there who going might be hesitant mm-hmm. to raise their hand and if someone else says hey i think you should you know try this there's nothing wrong with that. I, sometimes I feel like everyone, well, we want them to decide on their own that they need to step out. Yeah, I know. But everybody has their strengths. What if you said, Hey, I, you step out. So somebody asked me, they said, Hey, we want you to do this. We believe in you. You can do this. And the power of someone else believing in me, Oh yeah. it lights oh, me yeah. up and it gets, and I, now I have this accountability. I'm like, okay, yes, they, I can, I can do this. I've got to do this. Now are people depending on me and there's that, there's that defensive, right? There's people depending on me. I need to defend them and I'm going to do this. And, And I think that's really the power that provided me the ability to step into who I could really be and the potential I really had and going for things that I didn't think maybe I could accomplish like weapons school. Yeah. I would have never applied for weapons school. And, and you know some people are like oh well if you if you didn't think about that then you shouldn't be there uh, possibly but you know what i i didn't see myself that way and someone shifted the light and went you can And i thought i can okay yeah. i can yeah and then and then i, get it, it. I never yeah. never turned back i mean I'm tra- it was on. i'm
0: tracking i mean even go back to 200 people in a room one pilot and looks at you and say, <laughs> i mean yeah some of those things just line up that way. Let me kick an idea by you. I want to, get, I want to see what you think. I've got a good friend. His name is Frank, uh, and he's with the Unlocked Leader. And he talks about it's not just enough to say that you want to help other people along or, or right or to be a good leader and to train them. He's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out a pad and a pen. I want you to put on one side of the aisle, on one side, everybody in your organization that that you're currently leading, right? That's a part of it. And then I want you to identify the next leadership opportunity for that person. So that kind of goes with that empowerment piece. Like take yourself out of it for a minute, put everybody down there. Where can that guy, where can that gal, where can they lead next? And you're right. Maybe you need to present it to them sometimes. Maybe they're just waiting for that little bit of vision to go.
1: Yeah. And they could be so focused on, I want to do my job really well right now. They're not, they're not thinking, you know, what's next, even though we're constantly taught that Mm -hmm. but we're also bombarded with tons of work. So if that person's just sucked into doing the best they can in this job right now, just having someone say, hey, have you thought about this Mm -hmm. can open a whole new world.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot. All right. Tell us a little bit about Athena's voice. I know you co-founded that and and a big part of it. And it's an incredible platform with some real amazing warriors. So tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, when I started looking into speaking, I. I needed some help, and so I got together with Heather Penny, and I said, "Hey, let's let's get together." I I, I don't know the speaking world, and I'm interested in, in getting involved and seeing where I can make an impact. And she said, "You know what? We need a lot more of us out there." So her and I actually co-founded it. It's just it's a, a it's a really a platform that has a several. We're all we all happen to be Air Force right now, but women Air Force pilots who are willing to speak and share our stories. And the intent is not to share stories for the sake of stories. The intent is to share stories, to change people's minds, to see things differently, to change how they operate or do things. Um, And the stories are cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of amazing stories. As you know, Casey's story is amazing, Mm -hmm. but she takes that story and she makes a huge impact with how people can use that to help themselves. And that's what all of our speakers do. We're all trying to make an impact and you know speak out in the world and it's not you know obviously women and girls are a target audience for us but the the idea is that men speak to both men and women women can speak to both men and women i think it's important that we both keep we all keep doing that so we can again be more cohesive and together and all on the same page
0: it's a pretty powerful roster and uh just to name a few i mean you got samantha combo weeks pretty cool right betty presler Pretty cool. Yes. Obviously, we're big uh, Casey Campbell fans here as well, uh, but just incredible voices. Athena's voice is the website. I know folks can go there, check out bios, right? Book those links, yep. come speak. And I'm guessing you guys do uh, a lot of things, right? Corporate things, organizational things. I mean, maybe you name it kind of. Yeah, there's a
1: lot there. It's a pretty wide because we have so many speakers. There's We've spoken, like you said, corporate organizations, we've mm-hmm. done volunteer, just if it depends um, on on what's going on and what people need and how we can make a difference.
0: What's your message for the next generation? And I'll ask next generation of female warfighters, next generation of female uh, military members. What it, I know, you probably are asked to give advice. Oh, my daughter's looking to get into an academy or right, you know, going to be commissioned soon. What's that advice look like?
1: You know, I think it just depends on where they are in the path, but, but my thing is, is that I think while you're pursuing that path, especially in the beginning, you, know, you just need to keep your head down, work really hard don't look for the obstacles because you're going to you're going to see obstacles where they don't even exist if you look for them. Now I'm not saying don't let yourself get treated poorly, mm-hmm. that's not what I'm saying, but people have always asked me if I got treated differently and I said, "Well, I didn't. I wasn't really looking for it, so I think there were times that I did and I didn't notice." Yeah. But I just was there to do a good job. And that's that's I think when you get put your foot in the door, that's what you need to do. You just need to be the best at whatever it is you're trying to do and then once you get your foot in the door, then, and you're like making a name for yourself in that capacity whatever it is you're doing, not because you're a woman or you're black or you're anything else, or, you know, you are just quality at what you do. You know, you, I think you start looking to take on leadership roles. That's the one thing that I, I lacked. I was told many times, volunteer, volunteer. For some reason, I just, I, I was like, well, I don't think that's the one for me, <laughs> just raise your hand anyways just do, it. Just you know, do it's the, it it's the whole concept of you know they they've done research and say that a man will will put his name in for something when he's got six of the 10 qualifications and a woman will wait till she has 10 of 10 and i can vouch for that if i look at a job that it says you need these things and i don't have one of them i probably be like oh well, i can't i can't apply and i we gotta you know put your name in anyways i like uh combo says Samantha Combo weeks, Throw your hat in the ring. That's yeah. how, one of the ways yeah. she got where she did. So just keep plugging away.
0: I booked a project recently for a service that I kind of knew how to do, but was like, I'll, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll totally and or or I'll find the right people that can be on my team that can figure it out. Because I know I can serve these guys with six yes. of those 10 things and we'll figure the rest out. Not at a detriment to what we're trying to do, but like sometimes you gotta just go figure it out. Right. That sometimes, is that's awesome. Sometimes you just gotta yeah. get going. You gotta gotta go, right, Tammy? That's awesome. We gotta go.
1: You gotta just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just
0: go. (laughs) I love it. This has been a super fun conversation. I've loved it. That website, again, if you want to check out the speakers bureau that they've got, which is incredible, Athena's Voice USA.com. And retirement life from the Air Force has been good to you. And uh, it has. It's really good. I will tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. We are, as we record today, 10 days. Away from Veterans Day. So as always, we thank you for everything you've done for our country. We thank you for everything you continue to do.
1: It's been an honor and it continues to be an honor. And I don't intend to stop.
0: Wonderful. She's Tammy Barlett. I'm Brian Jodas and this has been Pick Up The Six Podcast.